0: Uh, But I've been wanting to have the quotation in the New Testament read from which our text is coming from that it's originally quoted. Uh, We have been spending our time these Sunday mornings in the book of Zechariah because uh, they are giving us pictures of what Jesus was going to accomplish for the world and for his people. Amazing Images are found in them from uh, Zechariah 9 riding in on, on the donkey and the, the proclamation of his kingship to chapter 10 that our Lord has come to be able to bring us home in chapter 11, that he is the good shepherd bringing favor and union. But we instead choose to follow the worthless shepherds and he has come to no longer make us the sheep doomed for slaughter. And in Zechariah 12 and in chapter 13, you have more images giving picture to us about what Christ has come to do. And in fact, now we're going to look at this morning four pictures in these two chapters that are given to us about what God is accomplishing through his son. Now, keep in mind that Zechariah is writing and prophesying about 500 years before Christ even comes. And so these pictures are given as a hope to the people of what our great savior was going to accomplish when he came. And here we are on the other side of the cross able to look back at those pictures. And deeply appreciate then what our Lord has accomplished for us. In the first nine verses of Zechariah chapter 12, and I'd encourage you to have a copy of God's word before you in Zechariah chapter 12. If you have a pew Bible, I did put that on the screen, 799. If you're not using the pew Bible, your Bible does have a table and contents. Or as I like to say, if you find Matthew, reverse two books and you're in Zechariah and you're good. But Zechariah, these pictures, I want you to see the images that are there. Zechariah uh, chapter 12 and these first nine verses are images about how God is going to to strengthen his people. Uh, I would want to spend a whole sermon on those first nine verses. There's a staggering number of images that are given in these nine, nine verses, but I wanted to take the whole of these four pictures and keep them together. But I want you to get a sense of what's happening here as God is giving these amazing images of how he is going to be with his people, strengthen his people, and help them against the spiritual enemies. Even in the first couple of verses, you're seeing that truth always that the people of the world and the world powers and wickedness is going to stand against God and his people, and yet God is going to remain with them. I love the image of verse three, where on that day I'm going to make you like a heavy rock or an immovable stone. That image of security and and safety with God. In verse 4, he says, I'm going to watch over my people. In verse 7, I'm going to save my people. In verses 6 through 9, I'm going to consume those who come against you. If you were here for the 930 Bible class, you can just kind of plug... All of that 45 minute work into these nine verses, because that's what's happening here is God is saying, I'm going to deal with your enemies. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you secure. I'm going to help you. I love the image of verse eight. I'm going to be a shield or a protector for you. I'm going to be that help that you need. But of all of the images that are given here, I want to just spend our time in these couple minutes in zeroing in on the one in verse eight. In verse 8, it reads, On that day the Lord will protect or shield the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. Think about that image for a minute. The feeblest and the weakest among them, are going to be like David. Now, think a little bit about David's life for a minute. David is an interesting picture because sometimes we only remember him after all things are said and done and kind of forget how it all started. You might remember that essentially David, his start is he is a nobody. In fact, he is so much a nobody... That when Samuel comes to Jesse's house, that's David's dad, and says, one of your sons is going to be anointed king. I want you to bring all your sons out. Guess which son didn't get brought? (laughs) David. (laughs) You say, okay, we're going to pick our our, our next king. And Jesse doesn't think David's qualified for that. He just kind of tends the sheep out there. You bring out all the boys, and Samuel goes before each one of them, and now he... Samuel says to Jesse, it's not any of these. Do you have any other sons? Well, yeah, I've got one more. We'll go get him. And David is the one who is anointed to be king. And not only is David taken from a nobody and anointed to be king, you have David as the nobody who is able to depend upon the strength of God. And as you know, if you grew up in the pews as a little kid, defeat the great Goliath. You know of David who reigns on the throne. In fact, his reign is so important that you have all the kings of Israel after him measured by David's reign. And I want you just to get a picture here of who David is, what God accomplished through David. And to read those words in verse 8, even the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. God is always trying to tell us repeatedly through the scriptures that your strength is in the Lord, that your strength is in him. Ephesians chapter six and verse 10 to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. to find your strength in him because God will strengthen you. He will be your shield. He will be your help. He will be your rescue. And Zechariah is giving a picture of that here. That when Christ comes, here is the, the picture of you are going to be made strong. Even the weakest among you, even the weakest would not stand before God and say, well, he can't help me. He can't do anything for me. No, he can He will make you strong and he will give you strength that you can rely upon him and depend upon him. In fact, reading the rest of this sentence, it's, it's mind-blowing. And the house of David shall be like God. I to check a few translations. I went, really? <laughs> is that really right? Yeah, that's really what it says. The house of David will be like God, like an angel of the Lord going before them. When you think about the scriptures, the angel of the Lord going before them, what is always that imagery depicting? Victory. The strength of Israel going against the enemies, God with his people leading the way bringing them into the promised land, bringing them into victory, being the strength that they need so that they could overcome and conquer. Here is Zechariah with his prophecy saying, in that day when Christ comes, that that's going to be us, that here we are with God, strengthened by God, led by God, being led into the promised land, that he is giving us the victory that we need because it's been accomplished in his son. In fact, the apostle John said it that way. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Zechariah is picturing that there is a strength that exists in God if we would come to Him. If we would give our lives to Him. He says, I can make you like David. I can change your life. You can depend upon me and I will strengthen you. That you would give your life to me in that way. So often we don't do that. So often our strength is in ourselves. So often our strength is in our own wisdom and our own might and our own abilities. We don't think about how we are to give ourselves to God to look for his help, his direction, his strength. And here is Zechariah saying, when Christ comes, you're supposed to seek him and find that strength that is in him. And so that's the first image. Look at verse 10 of Zechariah 12. Here's the second image. In verse 10, it says of Zechariah 12, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So the first image is God strengthening his people when Christ comes. The second picture is a picture of transformation that God through his son is going to transform his people. You will notice in verse 10, it says that what's going to happen is that God is going to pour out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of David, this spirit of grace and pleadings for mercy. That there is going to be this dramatic change of heart. That the people are going to desire grace from God. They're going to be pleading for mercy from God. Now, what is going to happen that's going to cause people to want to do that? What is the great event that's going to be this monumental shift so that people will want to seek after God? That they'll want his grace, that they will look for that mercy. You'll notice the wording in verse 10 is so that when they look on me whom they've pierced, they will mourn. There's an interesting declaration here when they look on whom they've pierced. And that's why I had Steve read John 19 was on the cross. Here comes this quote and they will look on him whom they've pierced. And this is supposed to be a pivotal moment for all the world. That this was going to be the event that was supposed to prick people's hearts to seek God, to desire mercy, to plead for grace from God. That this would be the moment that there would be a repentant sorrow. And notice the imagery of verse 10. What's the kind of mourning that is going to happen? Do you see it there in verse 10? It is a mourning as if you lost your only son. All right, that's pretty deep. You know, that's not a kind of a, well, you know, I'm really feel bad about my sins. That's not a, oh, you know, uh, yeah, I do some bad things in my life. This is sword cut to the soul mourning. When you go to the cross and see what God has done for us through his son, it is supposed to cause such a crushing within us that all that we have left, is to plead to God for mercy and look for grace to come upon us. This is this repentant sorrow that is being pictured here, is that this would prick us so that we would mourn our sins. And this would be something that would be a defining moment for every single person. And I submit to you that the cross is a defining moment for every single person. Here's how. Either you are completely moved and stunned and broken by the fact that the Son had to come and die for your sins, and it causes you to desire mercy and grace because of that, or you don't care. There's not really a third place to be in. You are either crumbled by and crushed by the idea that he died because of your sins. And it moves you to mourn about your sins and what that has accomplished. Or you don't care. And you have hard hearts. It's a defining moment because everyone is supposed to come to the foot of the cross and look on the one whom they have pierced and plead to the Lord for mercy and grace. This is what the scriptures are trying to picture for us and remind us is that these things are not by accident, but that the scriptures were predicting that this was what was going to be necessary because of our own sins. Within this sentence here, you have Isaiah saying, He was pierced because of our rebellion. It was because of our iniquities that this happened. The Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This is our sins that have caused this to happen. This is what John is getting at is in the crucifixion that we see the cross and we go, it's my sins that did that. It's my sins that caused that to be the case. I needed that to happen my sin and be just absolutely devastated by that. That's what Zacharias prophesied is the cross would be such a defining, pivotal moment in all world history so that people would look to the cross and see the one whom they've pierced. And it would cause them to mourn over their sins and to plead to God for mercy and grace. That's what verse 10 is picturing. Really, the rest of the chapter is as well. It just goes on to say, there's nobody not mourning. He just starts naming families and tribes and wives and children. Everybody is mourning over the one whom they've pierced. This is the heart of the people of God, that they are crushed by their sins. They're not cavalier about it. It's not that they don't care about it. It's not that they have a little tear about it, but they are broken. There is a reason why Acts chapter 2, when we have Peter preaching, that it speaks of them being cut to the heart, is that it is just penetrating what has happened at the cross was for our sins. And so Zachariah says what God was intending to do when Christ came was to transform his people. And notice chapter 13, verse 1, the third picture. On that day, keep all these on that days in mind. Chapter 12 has, has a bunch of them. Chapter 13 has a bunch of them. Chapter 14 has a bunch of them as well. Lord willing, we'll look at chapter 14 next week. All of this same time frame of the arrival of Christ when he comes Here's what's going to happen. Chapter 13 and verse one. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Here he is picturing this moment and saying, when the one you look upon is pierced. There's going to be a monumental thing that's going to happen. And the achievement of the cross is ultimately this. And I love the image. A fountain of forgiveness is opened. Try to visualize that. At the cross, this fountain of forgiveness is is just broken open. That sins can be washed away. This fountain is just flowing. And so anyone who will come to him Fountain flowing to be able to cleanse them. The great achievement of the cross. And you'll notice in verse 2 what it will do. In chapter 13 verse 2 it says. And on that day declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. And they shall be remembered no more. People cleansed of their idols. Now if you were with us two weeks ago. We remember in chapter 10. It used a picture of how. Instead of choosing God, we choose these foolish, worthless shepherds to lead us. We want all these foolish things to direct our lives and lead our lives and make these decisions for us. We're going to follow our ways. And here he gives a picture that, but when Christ comes, his people are not going to choose that anymore. They're going to be cleansed of the idols. They're not going to follow their own paths. They're not going to listen to the ways of the world. They're not going to be, have their hearts captured by the ways of God. I mean, by the ways of the world, but instead by the ways of God. That's what is being pictured here is there is this deep cleansing that will come so that he even says there in verse two that they won't even be remembered anymore. Just think about that. Not even an option. Not even an option. When I see what God has done through the cross, The way of the world is just not an option. I'm not going to go my own way. Look at what he's done. I'm not going to follow these empty ways of this world. I'm not going to follow my ways of sin. It's just not even an option. I'm just cleansed of it. I don't even want to go that way anymore because I'm so overcome by the power of the cross. And so these people are so transformed and experience such a cleansing that verse two says that I'm going to remove all those idols and they're not going to be remembered anymore. Worthless shepherds, lousy shepherds, those idols, they're all going to be removed from their hearts. And notice the end of verse two. He also says, "I'm going to remove from the land the prophets and the unclean spirits." I think that's an interesting picture. You some a little bit of an aside here, but you sometimes wonder how all of a sudden you're going along throughout from Genesis to Malachi, and you don't read anything about unclean spirits, and then suddenly you drop into Matthew, and boom, here they are. What has happened? And Zechariah is painting an image here. Is that what Jesus is doing is trying to give us a picture of how he has come and he is cleansing. He is removing things that are unclean. He is purging idols out of people's hearts. He's trying to bring about a transformation in people. And it's all symbolizing this amazing miracle that he keeps doing again and again of casting out these unclean spirits. No need for that anymore. I'm trying to show you what I've come to do. I've come to rescue. I've come to cleanse you. I've come to give you the healing that you need. And so the gospels are filled with those pictures to show when Jesus comes and is doing that, people are supposed to see him cleanse out these unclean spirits and give this healing and go, God has set him to transform us and cleanse us. We'll be back in Matthew soon. But you want to know what sometimes the reaction of the people was when he cast out an unclean spirit? They'd say, you need to leave. You need to go. That's that's scary stuff. We, we, We don't want that. And they missed what it was symbolizing. They missed that the fountain had been opened up. They missed that the opportunity for cleansing was here. The opportunity for transformation was here. What Jesus is showing is that he has the power over Satan. He has the power over sin. He's fulfilling these prophecies. We don't need more prophets. And he's wiping out unclean spirits. Jesus has removed them all. So that we would see that all of our hope and all of our cleansing and all that we need is found here in Jesus. What an image that's given is this transformation that brings brought about from a cleansing that is accomplished by God. And let me give you the fourth picture and then we'll pull all these things together. If you'll jump down to verse seven now. Verse seven of chapter 13 reads, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered i will turn my hand against the little ones our fourth picture is i want you to see that god is going to answer his people but watch how this is all portrayed in verse seven there is this statement awake O sword against the shepherd and the picture is when this would happen when cleansing would happen when the fountain of forgiveness is opened when transformation was available when God had come to strengthen his people all of that would take place when you see the shepherd struck and the sheep scattered and that's why these quotes are not by accident when you have Jesus in his final moments and the gospel writers are pointing and they're quoting these things This night, here's Jesus saying, you will all fall away because of me this night. Because it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Notice how Zechariah keeps putting it on the cross. The cross is this defining, pivotal moment. There is the picture that when the, the shepherd is struck and the sheep are scattered, all of these things that God was going to accomplish for his people is put into play. And notice what this cell says in Zechariah 13, verse 8. In the whole land declares the Lord, two thirds shall be cut off and perish and one third shall be left. I will put this third in the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. All right, let's put the pictures together. Notice in verses 8 and 9, he says, So when the shepherd is struck and the sheep are scattered, let's just summarize it. There's judgments and blessings. Notice judgments on two-thirds of the land. And notice everybody is is experiencing difficulty and hardship and trial. And he says in verse 8, But one-third will be left, and the third that is left is thrown into the fire. They are refined as silver, tested, testing them as gold is tested. This is a really interesting picture because what you see happening is that you have a people who are strengthened by God, who have been transformed by God, who are cleansed by God, so that when the trials come, it's a moment of refining and isn't total loss and isn't judgment. You know how many times people give up on God because life gets really hard. Life gets really tough. Life gets really bad. You know my background. I've got plenty of my scars and stories and I know you do too. There is a picture here of everybody gets thrown into the fire. Everybody's going to be put through it. There's no avoiding of it. There's no if. There's no somehow getting around this. And I want you to see that the picture here in Zechariah fits what Jesus said. The vast majority do not make it through. Jesus said it this way when we were in Matthew there on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said there in Matthew chapter 7 that many take this broad path that leads to destruction. They'll take that easy path. Life gets hard. I don't want to go the hard way with God anymore. I don't want to go that difficult path. Because Jesus made it clear the path that is narrow that leads to life, remember what he said? It's hard. It's hard. He didn't say it was easy. I wish Jesus had said, The path to eternal destruction is hard, and the path to life is easy. All right, put me on that path. All right, I'm in. Let's go easy. He didn't say that. He didn't tell us eternal life was going to be easy. He did not tell us this life was going to be easy. He said, if you want to be with me and follow me, it's going to be hard and you're going to get put in the fire. But notice the imagery that he gives there in verse 9 of Zechariah 13. He says, I'm refining them and testing them those who have been strengthened by the Lord and transformed by the Lord and cleansed by the Lord, they're going to be refined. They're not going to be consumed by trials. And please listen to what it says there at the end of verse 9. Verse 9 says, they will call upon my name and I will answer them. Oh. Can you just rest in that picture a minute? You find your strength in God and you're transformed by God and you are cleansed by God. You come through those trials and life is hard and it's unfair and it's just beating you up. And you allow those trials to refine you so that you don't give up on your faith, but you stay with God. God says, I'll answer you. And read the rest. I will say... They are my people. You want to hear those words, don't you? Man, do I want to hear those words. I want to hear God say, they're my people. I'll answer them. And notice how the people are responding. The Lord is my God. Because we've been strengthened by him. We've been transformed by him. We've been cleansed by him. And we know he's answering us because he is our God that we confess and proclaim. And he says he'll be with us. One more picture. Come back to verse 7 for a minute. In verse 7, I think it is so fascinating to see what God says about this. And look at verse 7 carefully. Who strikes the shepherd? I always find it funny when you come around to Easter time that all the history channels start running their things about, all right, who killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Who, 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 who did all this? And of course, Acts chapter 4, verse 27 will say, yes, it was Herod and Pilate and the Romans and the Jews. The apostles don't leave anybody out that, yep, it was yes. So you can, don't even have to watch the TV show. They all did. They all did. But don't miss what God is saying right here. Who struck the shepherd? Verse 7, A, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord. Who did it? God did. And Isaiah said that. God said, I am going to do something so that you can have what you need. I am going to do something so amazing that this event of the cross is not an accident. I, I, I'm so amazed how often the cross gets put in terms of an accident. You know, Jesus was there and he was teaching. and He thought he was going to build his kingdom, but boy, it took a right turn at Albuquerque. And who knew that that was going to happen? you know, we're just going to have to go for plan B and he'll have to come back and try again sometime in the millennium. You've got to be kidding me. This was all the plan of God down to the very detail. There was not about any of it that was accident, not a drop of it, not a minute of it was an accident. This was all the predetermined plan of God. Why was it not an accident? Because God wanted to be your immovable rock. God wanted to be your shield. God wanted to make you like David. He wanted to lead you like an angel led Israel through the wilderness. He wanted to convict your heart so that you would have repentant sorrow, so that you would have a spirit that would plead for mercy and grace. He wanted to open a fountain of forgiveness to you so that your sins could be washed away. He wanted to purge the idols out of your heart to get rid of the worthless shepherds that were in your life. He wanted you to be refined by life's trials, not crushed and broken and give up. He wanted you to call on him so that he could answer you. He wanted to be your God and he wanted you to be his people. That's why he had to strike the shepherd. And that's what Zechariah is saying. This all happened so that you could be strengthened by God, so that you could be transformed by God, so that you could be cleansed by God, and so that he could answer you and you could belong to him as his people. Let's go to God in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, your good news in this prophecy is absolutely stunning. And Lord, I pray that the cross would never be taken lightly in our hearts. But Lord, allow the cross of your Son and the weight of all that it meant and all that it was accomplishing for the world and for us, all that it was accomplishing against Satan, against sin. Lord, let that just constantly resonate before us. Lord, help us to always see that it is due to our sins that he was hung on that cross. And Lord, help us to always see that it's because you love us so much that you put him there. Lord, how can we praise you or be thankful enough when we think about what you've done? Your willingness to strike your own son. Your willingness to have your son pierced. With the intent and hope that we would look upon him. And that we would mourn. And that we would mourn like we lost our own child. Lord, convict our hearts. Melt our hearts and never let our hearts be of stone when we think about what you have done for us. Lord, we pray that we would never take it for granted. And Lord, forgive us for any times that we have ever looked to your son and we have not been moved. When we have not been crushed by our sins. And that we have not seen the glory of who you are through the sacrifice of your son. Lord, please forgive us of our sins. We plead for mercy and grace, just as your prophet said we ought. Lord, we pray for the forgiveness that comes through your son. And we pray for the transformation, that you would cut the idols out of our hearts, cut the things that are unclean, keep us away from those sins and temptations. Lord, strengthen our faith. Give us what we need to move forward with you in a way that is pleasing to you so that we can be the servants of the people you have called us to be. Help us in every effort to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so what's your answer this morning? What's your answer this morning? You can come to Jesus today and you can find a fountain opened for you. And we want you to access the cleansing that's available, the life transformation that's available, the strength that God wants to give you for your life. You will be thrown in the fire. If you've been around in life long enough, you've probably been thrown in a few times. Will you trust in the Lord to be your strength, to carry you through, to be the shepherd you need, to get you not only through this life, but ultimately to be your guide and lead you to the promised land of eternity? We want you to enjoy that this very day. If you respond to that invitation, you can let one of us know afterward. You can talk to me afterward, or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.